Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. This is episode 760. Got We've got a great guest. I've got my great co-host, Kurt. And like I say, we've got a great guest. We've got David Keyes with us from WP Campus. We're going to be talking about WP Campus, about edu- higher education, how WordPress fits in. Is it is it growing in higher education or is it declining what are the new changes in WP Campus? It should be a great interview. So, David, um, can you give us a quick introduction, 20, 30-second introduction about yourself? Sure. Um, so my full name is David Dash and Keys. Most people do call me Dash, but David or Dash is fine, as you prefer. Uh, my pronouns are they and them. Uh, since 2019, I have had the pleasure of working as a full-stack developer for Georgetown University, although over that time, I've crept closer and closer to the back end and further and further from the front end, uh, so I'm not sure my title is, is as accurate now as it was a few years ago. Uh, I've been working in higher education uh, since 1998, except for an eight-month gig, <clears throat> excuse me, an eight-month gig that I, I had at a digital agency. So higher ed and I have had uh, an entire career already, and uh, I look forward to seeing what the, the latter half of my working years might uh, look like uh, with uh, at schools. That's great. And I've got my great co-host, Kurt. Kurt, would you like to introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers? Yeah, certainly. My name is Kurt Vom Anen. Uh, own an agency called Manana Nomas, where we focus primarily on membership and learning websites. Uh, and of course, that's all about getting things uh, done on time and under budget. That's great. <laughs> and before we go into the main meat and potatoes of this great interview, we've got a couple of messages from our major sponsors. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. Hi there, folks. It's Jonathan Denwood here, and I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, and that's Zolo.com. If you've got a WordPress website, a membership website, and you're looking to link it with a great financial management package, Zolo can provide this solution. So all your bookkeeping needs are done through Zolo. If you need new inbox email functionality and you don't want to pay the high charges that Google will charge you, Zolo offers a great email inbox platform. They've got over 50 apps and services that all integrate fantastic with WordPress at great value levels and they almost always offer a fully functioning free product as well. So it's just amazing value. Also, if you're a WordPress developer or agency owner, Zolo are looking for great partnerships in the WordPress space. 
to get all this information, all you have to do, folks, is just go over to Zolo.com and they have the products that you're looking for. Thank you so much, Zolo, for supporting WP Tonic and the Machine Membership Shows. It's much appreciated. We're coming back, folks. I just want to point out, um, we've got some great special offers from our major sponsors. Plus, we've got a curated list of the best plugins. If you're looking to build something on WordPress, which you should be, um, instead of having to troll the internet and read a load of stuff, we've done all the hard work for you. So go over to get all this great deals and information. Go over to WPTonic slash deals. WP Tonic slash deals, and you find all the goodies there. So let's go straight into it, David. So obviously there have been some change. First of all, um, I'd like you to outline what WP Campus is, and also there's been some major changes in the leadership of the organisation recently. Um, also, maybe you could go into um, what you see some of the challenges and also some of the opportunities that WP Campus faces in the next year, 18 months. Sure. So WP Campus, WordPress Campus, is a nonprofit organization that focuses on supporting the use of WordPress and the designers, the developers, the system administrators, etc., that support the use of WordPress in higher education. Uh, we have, since the mid-20-teens, done conferences, both in-person and virtual, to try to do what we can to share knowledge and do all of the the same sort of activities that you find at any tech conference, but with a really sort of laser focus on higher ed and how higher ed use of WordPress might be a little different or come with some other constraints that maybe an agency developing for a, a business maybe doesn't see as regularly. You're not wrong about the leadership changes for the lifetime of the org up until this year. It has more or less been run by one individual person, the, the founder of the org. But she is tired of, of being a one-person show. And the organization reasonably has grown beyond what one person can really handle as effectively. So last year, a group of people, with myself included, undertook the process of writing uh, bylaws documents and setting up all of the necessary bureaucracy and process and systems to transition from sort of what I like to refer to... Uh, what I like to refer to as a benevolent dictatorship uh, into something a little bit more typical for a nonprofit with a board of directors and things of that sort. Yeah. Um, I had the honor of being nominated to join the board of directors and then was uh, more or less appointed as president. Uh, this year was a little bit of a... I don't want to say like a loose process, but like we were the first board. So like there wasn't, we, we are the ones that sort of determine the way forward. So we more or less people volunteered who are on the board for different uh, roles and positions within the board. And I said, I'll, I'll be president and everybody else took a step backwards. And then I ended up being the president. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's kind of amazing to think and to see uh, an organization go through as much change as we did over the course of six to 12 months and come out the other side with a pretty functional organization. Mm. Uh, what helped, I think, is that our community is really quite 
uh, invested in the org mm-hmm. and in the mission and in the goals. So they are happy as long things, things are going to move smoothly. And I think folks in the org will be happy as long as we continue to do what we promised to do. And that's support WordPress and higher ed. And that's kind of what we're here to do. Oh, that's great. Over to you, Kurt. Uh, hey, thanks, Jonathan. My, my question is actually more of a, a f- almost like a follow-up to that is yeah. what, what is the role that WordPress has in, in higher ed and the applications, you know, that, that you consider mm-hmm. as, as part of this organization? We see a lot of institutions using WordPress because it's free uh, and it relies largely on free technologies. As I'm sure most of the listeners are aware, higher education is already expensive. And the as much as the money that higher ed institutions are making and bringing in through tuition dollars and things of that sort, there's still uh, lots and lots of different reasons that the institution is going to look to try to reduce costs where it can. And so something like WordPress and other free PHP-based CMSs are are pretty common. Uh, and WordPress specifically, we find, has a, at least anecdotally, I don't actually have like quantitative numbers on this one, unfortunately, but anecdotally, WordPress seems to be fairly well-liked and somewhat easy to use by folks in the on campuses that uh, are not necessarily going to be dedicating a full-time programmer or developer to managing the website. Universities are likely to have a staff person who gets assigned to work on a website, maybe as an other duties as assigned kind of role, or they'll have someone like a communications manager or marketer kind of the the person in that role fulfilling using the WordPress site to, to market and communicate with the students and the staff and the faculty and the parents and alumni. So yeah, we, we, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without some kind of content management system. There's too many people at a university that are going to be managing the content of that school outside of a very small, specifically focused institution. There's so many departments, so many research centers, so many different ways that people are interfacing and working with the institutional assets and capabilities that without some kind of content management system, the websites would would be impossible to maintain. And so WordPress fills the niche that gives us the right cost for the capacity and the scalability to run a whole bunch of websites for a large institution. Excellent. That that kind of transitions into the question I was supposed to ask, and that is, you know, what are a couple of the major historical challenges um, that higher education has faced, you know, with online education over recent years? And, and kind of like in your opinion, how do you think that can be overcome? Yeah. So I was a student... Uh, during the pandemic, I, uh, I'm getting a master's degree. So I sort of saw both sides of the last few years. I think schools, uh, whether they be primary, secondary schools, higher education, colleges, community colleges, whatever, I think everybody struggled in education from, from kindergarten to PhD level work over the last few years with how do we educate people when we maybe can't as safely gather in large lecture halls or even small uh, sort of classrooms. WordPress, I think, 
didn't have a direct impact on online education with respect to the pandemic only because without some assistive plugins and things of that sort, you pro- you may not have been live streaming to a WordPress site or things of that sort. But I do suspect that utilizing tools like WordPress and just the ability to quickly edit and update websites would have been instrumental in getting the word out as schedules changed, as professors maybe had to take a step back if they themselves became ill, as staff persons needed to move around from one place to another in order to support roles that were that needed to be filled. So yeah, the, the, all of the, the same sort of difficulties that were faced by non-education sector folks for the last few years were, were also hit us. But I think we've learned that it's not as easy to transfer a classroom into an online setting as it is to transfer, say, a stand-up meeting or an all-hands or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that that was the biggie. Um, and then there was, there's sort of, I think, always the the push and pull of online education, which is how do you make it? How do you make the connection with yeah. the people you're in the classroom with? Yeah. Felt most acutely for the last three years, but even prior to March 2020, the the way to try to build the classroom feel, the the ability to feel like you can just sit down next to somebody and yeah. maybe say like ask about the homework from last night or or see what they're up to. I mean, I suspect that most classrooms, everybody comes in, sits down, and immediately looks at their phone anyway. But maybe, maybe in a perfect moment. You would turn to your neighbor and say, "Hey, how are you doing today?" Um, but that that possibility of connection is a lot more difficult when everybody logs into the Zoom room and feels like they need to mute upon entry. Uh, maybe don't, doesn't even have their camera on. Uh, maybe isn't even actually fully present because it's just a lecture and it's being recorded. So you're there for the attendance purposes, but you're, you're actually in another monitor uh, playing a video game or what have you. So the, the, the focus and the attention and the capability that a person has in a classroom to look out around the room and get a sense of whether you've lost your audience or not, you, that's a lot harder online. So the, there's a lot of interesting challenges that, that educators have had to overcome. Uh, related to online learning and the schools that were already doing some distance learning, whether for their like continuing education classes or things of that sort, were well positioned, I think, to do a complete transfer to the the web, uh, you know, since March 2020. And those that weren't as versed, I think, scrambled and and had a much bigger lift mm-hmm. than some other places did. Yeah, my, my, my son is homeschooled, and I can tell you that uh, his school was a little bit more of a scramble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, nine different nine different platforms to sign into, and passwords, mm-hmm. and parental authorizations, and and it, and it got a little messy. But uh, yeah, uh, with that, I, I think I should pass back to Jonathan. Yeah, I just got a comment of what you said, Dave. Um, mm. I, I think I think there's two factors that you really pointed out. Um, I think one factor, which is my own opinion, is that online education when it comes to higher institutions has has historically been uh, impaired because it's been seen as a cost-saving methodology Um, and that's had historical consequences about how it's viewed, the quality of it's been viewed. And the second point 
is that I think all distributed companies, um, all companies that have had rapidly become distributed on um, face problems about how do you maintain culture um, and a difference. And um, I don't think it will ever go back. Uh, I just Mm. think that you're going to find hybrid solutions both in higher education and in businesses where you have weekend retreats, micro-retreats, different combinations. Um, So that's my my little bit of a reflection of what you've said. So how is Word, you know, you've touched upon it. Um, So how is WordPress seen really in the higher education? Do you think it's growing or do you think it's in semi-decline and the reason why I I put this question to you because I'm wondering how all the changes in WordPress around Gutenberg about full site editing about the fundamental changes uh, uh, around JavaScript and that Mm. has that had an effect on its growth in the higher education sector or has it not really affected it at all? Again, I don't really have quantitative numbers to share, sadly. But my impression is that WordPress has more or less held its own uh, interest. I, I don't get a sense that interest has really increased or decreased mm-hmm. simply because I think there are always going to be folks that are looking for a solution that has low cost and high capability. And when you're in that world, you're looking at if pretty much WordPress and Drupal. And so after then, it just comes down to like, what is your hosting provider support? What is your... Hey, David, Dave, yeah. David, you, you're getting me hot and bothered now. <laughs> God, you're bringing back some bad memories, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, using that word Drupal with me. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, my blood... My yeah. well, in, I can feel my heart pumping, David. Yeah, I mean, um, for Georgetown University, where I work, in 2018, 2019, I guess, I joined the team in 2019. So it was prior to my joining, the decision was made not only to change hosting providers, but actually to also switch from Drupal to WordPress because they were on a version of Drupal that was old enough that the, the lift to go from Drupal whatever to the current version in 2019 was going to be heavier, actually, than converting the entire fleet of hundreds of sites that we manage from Drupal to WordPress. Uh, And we jumped right into Gutenberg while it was still in beta too. So we didn't even really give, at least at Georgetown, we didn't give our folks the option to stay with Classic Press or with the Classic Editor, just threw them right into the block editor. So uh, we've had good luck with it though. And the, the places that I've seen that have continued to use WordPress over the years have also seemed to be slowly moving in the direction of Gutenberg. Um, The block editor's power has become, I think, a little bit more evident to people as time goes on. I think this was my sense personally in the when it was starting to come out and when it was in beta was just, why are we doing this? No one's asking for this. What's the point? I'm a complete convert now. I totally get it. Like This was something that folks who weren't me (laughs) saw on the horizon and said, we can make we can make web editing a little bit different and something that that feels and looks separate from a Google Doc or from a Word document. And and that's actually been really beneficial for our editors. They have a sense, I think, that, okay, this block and then this block and arranging things in that 
context, I think feels more natural to people that are used to maybe laying out uh, print designs or magazine layouts or things of that sort. And so those communicators and those marketers that I mentioned earlier find the block editor really comfortable. Even if as a developer, it's more complicated to build a block for and you've got to now know React, at least enough React to build a block. Um, You've got to make decisions about static versus dynamic block. Go dynamic. Uh, so the um, you know so there's a lot of considerations for the IT staff I think that have come up over the last bunch of years between the block editor and now full site editor and block themes. But I think all of those things, when they're handled well by the IT staff, translate to a really smooth experience for those who are actually editing the site. Um, oh, oh, yes, sorry. What's got, what's happened? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I know what happened. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I got automatically logged out of my university email, which caused the tab to shift in Chrome. And so I lost track. Uh, I apologize. It's got, it's got got a mind of its own. Um, I think, I think that's a good, I think that's a good place. The machine is telling us that we need to go for our mid break. It's been a fascinating discussion. Um, please continue listening we've got some great questions for david after we go for our middle break we will be back in a few moments folk hey it's spins from launchflows.com if you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on wordpress then look no further than launchflows in just minutes you can easily create instant registration upsells downsells order bumps one-click checkouts one-time offers custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with Launch Flows. Get your copy today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS, the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to LifterLMS.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code PODCAST20. That's PODCAST20. Enjoy the rest of your show. We're coming back. I just want to point out, folks, that if you're looking for a great partnership, why don't you look at um, partnering with WP Tonic, hosting your clients' websites with us, help, um, we've got great support packages, so we deal with all the niggly day-to-day problems that drive you crazy. Don't they always ask you for support just before you're going for that trip, that weekend trip, or anything else? Well, we can deal with all of that, plus we can help you with the technical side of building out large websites we're a real partnership at WP Tonic. You can find all this out by going over to WP Tonic slash partners, WP Tonic slash partners, where the, we run the leading podcast. My team and myself have got over 15 years experience in WordPress. We're a true hosting partner. So, David, um, let's throw it over to Kirk. I've got lost there, Kirk. So let's throw it over to Kirk there. <laughs> 
I, you know, I, I get the, uh, I, I get the AI question and it's <laughs> interesting because it seems so new, but we seem to be talking about it like all the time. But on the mm. other hand, you're almost tired of it. Yeah. You know, Cause it's yeah, such yeah, a yeah. dense topic, right? Comes up all yeah. the time. But like, how do you see, um, chat GPT and, and AI affecting the higher education segment, you know, especially in terms of, of, of the WordPress thing in the next couple of years. I mean, I just jumped into Bard last week and I was like, all right, well, this is better than chat GPT. It's like, it's just one after another after another, but, but how's it affecting yeah. you in higher education? It's only, it's only a small question, David. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we have only scratched the surface of the impact that we're going to see over the course of the coming years as artificial intelligence becomes more readily available and, and affects us in ways that we probably can't even think of yet. Uh, you know, we, we've, we all have probably seen the articles about folks that are using ChatGPT to write term papers or the bots that are passing the bar examination and things of that sort. Uh, and, and we think of these as cute experiments, but like, how would anybody make that happen in a, in a space that is in a classroom? Like, how could you use ChatGPT to cheat on your finals when you're in a room with a proctor? And like, we don't know, but I also know that there are people thinking about augmented reality glasses. And so suddenly chat GPT is in your field of vision and maybe not other people's field of vision. And you're, you are using this device in some way to, to get around even face to face interactions. Um, the, the, the biggest thing for WordPress is I've already seen folks and I have myself used it to say, ChatGPT, how would I write a plugin that does the following? And it gets pretty close. It knows okay. WordPress fairly well because the code's open sourced. Okay. So it has a huge amount of domain knowledge in WordPress that can really get you started. Uh, it, anytime I've asked it that, it hasn't been exactly correct, but it's been, you know, 75-ish, 70% correct. And that's that's enough to get started. You know, if you're if I was really stumped, if I asked ChatGPT a question, it might give me a new way of looking at uh, trying to get to a solution. Uh, I think that for for tasks that are extremely straightforward or that have been repeated frequently online, things like changing the length of the excerpt for a post in WordPress that comes up perennially, and it's something that you end up doing based on the needs of a given site here and there, ChatGPT probably knows how to do that. <laughs> so I, I worry for like the junior developer position in the near term, where folks might say, we don't really need a junior developer. We'll just ask our mid-level or senior developers to use ChatGPT and get started. Uh, of course, though, that's a short-term fix because eventually your mid-level and senior developers are going to retire and now you have no junior developers because all you've used is AI. Uh, yeah. But maybe by the time that happens, AI will be even better and uh, all of us will be out of a job. Um, I'm not that much of an alarmist in general. Like I, I think I think as a as a... I, I do think, though, that we're on the cusp of a revolution in in tech in the same way that we were, say, at the Industrial Revolution or in the like 90s with just the Internet being released to the public. Uh, smartphones, like this is the kind of impact that I think AI is eventually going to have on all of us everywhere. And higher education is going to just be a place where the content generation piece of some of the AI that have been very popular over the last couple of months 
is going to be felt most keenly. Uh, I know of one professor, this is absolutely an anecdote, and it's a sample size of one, but I know of one professor that actually just didn't assign term papers this year, just wanted to see, or I guess this semester, just wanted to see what the class that they were teaching felt like without assigning papers, because they didn't want to have to deal with the question, which was, was this ChatGPT or was this Susan in the second row? Um, so they just didn't worry about it. Yeah, I just to kind of chip in, Dave, I, I, I really got such mixed feelings about all this because it's a real witch's brew far as I'm concerned. But when it comes to education, I really think it, the possibilities are fantastic. Yeah. Um, the, the ability to have a, somebody, artificial intelligence, really giving you individual customised um, training is going to be just fantastic because yeah. I think one of the struggles is that we've we've lived through the enormous expansion of information knowledge being available on your fingertips. You know, uh, a bigger explosion of the availability of knowledge than what we saw with Gutenberg in the 17th century with the printing yeah. press. Um, but unfortunately, what we haven't seen, David, is being able to transfer that knowledge into higher ed education standards and outcome. Yeah. We, we've yeah. seen a, a actual disparity between different social economical groups about outcomes yep. um, because I just think it's really hard if you don't get the fundamentals the foundations of like it's like not getting the foundations of a building correct mm -hmm. you can build anything on top but it's not going to be that great um, we've really struggled to really get people, if they're struggling, when they get over there facing what I call that that knowledge hump, mm. uh, um, really understanding a subject which a great teacher can really assist um, in getting a student that's at that hump, that ready to give up, but they manage to push them forward and mm. overcome that hump. And we've just failed in so many aspects to utilize all this knowledge to really help a lot of students mm. get over the hump so but on the other hand um i've noticed that a lot of the writing that chat gpt provides is very what i call benign on 101 ish yeah. um it's at best filler not very good filler um, but a lot of websites are filled with articles that are just filler. Um, <laughs> um, so it's a kind of duality there. But um, so I just, I've been waffling along there, David. So yeah. um, what's your response to what I've just outlined? Yeah, I think you're right that the current capabilities of, of ChatGPT and other systems for content generation are are not poor is, is, is a bad judgment because right. they can get things pretty correct and they can write copy that has some like good adjectives and, and calls to action and whatnot. But it, it's not as polished yet as what a skilled journalist or a skilled communicator is going to be able to do. Uh, but they're going to keep getting better. 
<laughs> so over well, they time, might. They might. Sorry, interrupt, David, but they yeah, might no. because you already. Um, I think it's more that you know somebody actually knows the subject above a certain level, sure. but yeah. also you're seeing a lot of the um, like Reddit, um, Twitter. Um, you mentioned WordPress being open source, so mm-hmm. the data's been available for them to um, absorb. But you're finding a lot of these other um, areas where they've been utilising, like Reddit, they're, they're already talking about um, walling them off. Yeah. So they won't have access. Do you think that might affect the actual progress of these systems, the actual a lot of the areas being walled off. That that information will only be available for that Pacific um, engine, if you understand. Yeah, I think it would, because enough data being removed from the pool that an AI bot would have the ability to analyze will reduce the capabilities of the bot. Uh, I have no idea if... Wikipedia is is thinking about doing this or not, but imagine yeah. if Wikipedia said, you know what, we're going to figure out a way to try to make sure that chatbots, yeah. at least legitimate chatbots that might listen to the request in the header that says chatbots go away or whatever. <laughs> um, illegitimate chatbots, you know, that's our illegitimate um, uh, AI bots are going to, that's a separate problem. <laughs> but uh, losing access to the wealth of of knowledge and history that exists in Wikipedia would seem like it would have to hamper the learning capabilities of something like ChatGPT. You couldn't ask it about the War of the Roses and get a cogent response if it couldn't go out and find historical data about what that war was about. Uh, you know, so the 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 yeah, I think as things if things get locked down, as things get locked down. It's going to impact the the capability there. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that happens. If we see money exchanging hands, like a researcher that says to an organization that has a lot of these data, "We'll give you X dollars." Well, the reason why I mentioned data. <laughs> the reason why I mentioned this, David, because it really affects universities because universities provide a lot of free courses and information mm-hmm. online. So yeah. they, in some way, they will be players in this decision to lock down their own IP. Um, yeah content in some ways do you think that, that that they're aware of the value of their own ip a lot of universities i think that's a mixed bag and a mixed question uh there i think especially because a lot of schools do host class content online a lot of universities a lot of higher education systems in general probably feel like there is still something of real value to matriculating and showing up in the classroom or more recently online to to have the the school experience, that there's a social aspect to being a part of the university that a person doesn't get if they're just visiting whatever it is .edu and downloading the course materials. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that changes when something like ChatGPT can farm the content of all of the classes at a given university, uh, especially if there's historical information that might impact the generation of tests or quizzes in the future. Uh, my father 
tells me stories of the fraternity days back in the 70s where they just had reams of tests in a filing cabinet. So if you were taking whatever 101, you could go down to the filing cabinet and riffle through the old tests and pull out a couple of them and study those as sort of a way to maybe get a jump on your your classmates who wouldn't have access to those. Uh, ChatGPT, if it has access to all of them, might actually be difficult then you you know as a professor to say like well i have to come up with a whole way of doing new examinations because i can't rely on my old ones because i know that they've been farmed out to the ai uh so there's all sorts of things that i think could come up that could change the way that the educators and the administrators have to think about what their content is and how readily available it needs to be uh, with luck similar to like the robots text file that can tell bots not to index this portion of a site or things like that will eventually get similar controls that the honorable forms of, of chat GPT and other AIs will respect so that wherever it is edu can just say, Hey, please stay out of the slash courses folder. And, and that may be enough, but I don't know. There's always the other <laughs> kind of bot that scrolls around the internet and just grabs the data and uh, doesn't always listen to to the late no, requests. So, <laughs> no, no, you're totally right. So um, let's go on to the next question. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna twist this question a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had a time machine, you could go back in your career and tell mm. and give yourself some advice. But I'm going to add a little twist to it, Dave. If you also, if you could go back in your time machine, is there somebody that you would love to be able to interview yourself? Oh. That, that, mm. that would be fun. Uh, the first one is a little bit easier. The what would I tell myself to, to do differently? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I started working in online programming in 1998, like I said. Uh, and at that time, JavaScript was awful. <laughs> and so there was a solid six to 10 years or so of my career where JavaScript was more or less to be avoided unless absolutely necessary. And that lingered in my own mind for quite some time. I eventually got over it. But I have the same feelings now about uh, frameworks like React, uh, despite it being a part of WordPress. So I think if I could go back in time and give myself some advice, it would be it would be in the early aughts to be like, no, stop, pay attention to JavaScript a little bit better. That's going to become really important over the course of the next ten and fifteen years, um, and 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 that importance only gets bigger and bigger as tools like React and Vue and and in, you know back in the day things like Angular became really great at making the web do just phenomenal phenomenally cool things that I couldn't even dream about in 1998. <laughs> so, uh, so that would, that would pay attention to JavaScript. I think would have been my message to myself back in the day. Um, the, uh, um, wow. Who would I like to go back and interview? I don't know. Um, whoever decided that line endings would be different in Mac and Linux based systems versus Windows, I would love to get those people in a room, lock them up, and force them to come to a. Oh, you're meeting. not allowed to change. <laughs> you know, you're not allowed. You're getting a bit. You're getting a bit greedy now. <laughs> but, uh, you're not allowed to go yeah. back and change history. Okay. Just allowed okay. to go and talk to somebody. All right. Well, I'd love to. So that's that's one thing I've never understood uh, fully. Um, I do think. It would be interesting to go back and talk to some folks in the you know who were 
uh, I guess I wouldn't have to go back. Many of them are probably still with us. Uh, I'd love to go back and talk to folks who are working on browsers in the late 90s and into the early aughts that saw the rise of Internet Explorer to just the, the, the majority share of all website browsers and then how they felt when upstart browsers like Firefox and Opera and eventually even Chrome sort of came on the market. And now we're back in that same place with Chrome just having this astronomic market share on the browser market. Um, and I, I'd love to pick, their, pick the brains of the folks who either disrupted that market, uh, the folks that like Mozilla and, and Opera, and eventually sort of broke down the hegemony that, that Internet Explorer had and had constructed. Um, Yes. This is not, and, and by no means am I trying to compare, say, Chrome to IE, whatever it was in the late 90s. That would be deep. That would be deep. Yeah. That would be deeply unfair, though. Yeah. Uh, um, um, there we go. But I do think the sort of monoculture of browsers that is, is is no better than, say, a monocultural farming practice. Like, we need the innovation is going to help keep the web doing new and interesting things. Uh, luckily, it seems like. Uh, re- even the reduced market share of folks like at Mozilla with Firefox, it doesn't seem like it's slowing them down from innovating. Chrome, even yesterday, was talking about changing up the interface to remove the lock icon in the address bar because people are confusing it with safety as opposed to simply encryption. And that, so like there is still the innovation going on in browsers and in the way that we access the web. Um, and uh, and yeah, but I, I I think that would be an interesting group of people to go back and talk to to see the the contrasts from this moment versus the a similar feeling of browser dominance in the in the late nineties and early aughts. Oh, that's great! Over to you, Kurt. Well, now he's got me all self conscious, Jonathan, because just <laughs> yesterday I was troubleshooting a site in Chrome, and I needed to open up a new browser, and I went and I clicked on Microsoft <laughs> Edge. And when Edge popped up, I was like, oh, oh well, this isn't so bad. Oh my and God. then I thought, if people saw me using this, <laughs> I'd be so embarrassed. Um, so, so yeah, you, you caught me. You caught me. Um, I, I guess that I want to ask about like books and websites and, and online mm. resources and stuff that, that uh, you would recommend to share with people in our audience, especially mm. with being in higher ed and stuff, you might have a different perspective than some of our other guests. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of entrepreneurs and stuff, but you, but you might have so, something different to throw at us. Yeah. Uh, I love LinkedIn learning and I have the privilege at Georgetown of having access to LinkedIn learning through my through the business. I have no idea if that's common elsewhere. I suspect smaller, scrappier agencies might not have the the cash to shell out to just get all of their employees access to a tool like LinkedIn learning. But um, that's great. Just the ability to be like, hey, I need to learn about this thing. I'm going to go to LinkedIn learning. Uh, and... So that's great. I, I I find that super useful, and there's all sorts of stuff out there to to learn about. Yeah. Um, you know, though, I honestly think the the thing that I've found most useful for trying to learn something new or solve a problem that I, I haven't encountered recently has actually been small focused social networks like Slacks and Discords. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to drop into to out WP Campus again for a second, to be able to drop into our Slack and just say, hey, everybody, I'm running into this problem. Has anybody solved something similar? Um, 
One second. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it's great. This to be able to access the knowledge of all of those people in in one place like that is really quite interesting. Um, it's not really a book. I guess it's a human book, human set of knowledge. Uh, but that's that's been fantastic and and kind of really affirming. Not only when I can get the help, but when I can be the person providing the help. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. When, when you mentioned like the decentralized stuff like Slack and, and Discord and, you know, I see a bunch of folks, you know, touting Mastodon and stuff now. Um, yeah. Just as a follow-up question, how do you recommend to others that are new to those types of environments? Like, mm. how do you get them started or how do you... Because yeah. I remember my first try with Slack. I turned it on and I went, I don't know what I'm doing. And I turned it off. <laughs> yeah, it, it's strange because each channel in a Slack or a Discord... Uh, it feels almost akin to, for me, like the old AOL chat rooms where you'd just, you'd have a list of chat rooms in one little dedicated area on the screen. You'd click the topic you wanted to talk about and that quick you had just access to people. And so there's a whole group of people that didn't experience that chat room based internet from the nineties that, uh, yeah, I suspect you hit a, you hit Slack or Discord and you're just like, I, I don't understand what's happening here. Um, I think Discord actually does this a little better than Slack, at least in my experience, because you can lock people down to a specific channel that has, like, how do you use this? Where do you go next? You know, there's a little bit more of an onboarding process that seems some Discords have built in recently. Um, I also think that having a an obvious channel or location that is for how to use this is handy. Whether it's a space that has pinned articles, but frankly, no one can find pinned articles. So, um, you know, so like just a space that says, what do I do here? Like a channel named that or how to use this thing uh, will, I think, help folks when they get into that space. Um, Also, I think... As silly as the Discord stickers are, when somebody joins your server, you have the option to push a button and you get these animated little characters that pop up and they take up, you know, three inches of screen real estate. They're they're quite large. Oh, that's good, Dave. Yeah. What, what kind of animal do you think I would be? Oh, uh, well, you know what? They're random. Uh, so oh. you don't actually, you don't get to pick your own. Uh, what you get is uh, there's like five or six of them that when you click the button, it just randomly chooses for you, which is a little bit less interesting because it would be interesting to say like, I'm going to be a cat or a unicorn or, or, oh, I, think or I'll be a t- I think I'll be a t- toothless dragon. There you go. You know, lost all uh, my teeth, you know. I'm that old. Uh, <laughs> I'm, just happy, I'm just happy I've got my own teeth still. There you go. There you go. Um, He'd be a rhinoceros because he's unpredictable. Yeah. The uh, But these these stickers create a way that as people join the community, they get sort of a warmer welcome, I think, sometimes than in Slack, where it's just a little note on the screen that says, so-and-so joined the general channel. Um, so, the, the you know, that makes a person feel a little bit more welcome maybe. Yeah. And I've seen folks that then just sort of say like, Hey, I'm new here. What am I doing? Um, so, so yeah, I think there are, are, I think as these different tools add features, um, maybe they'll get even a little bit better at the onboarding process, but you're, you're not wrong, Kurt, these things, especially if you log in and there's, you know, 15, 20 channels that are immediately available to you and you just, the cognitive load of figuring out what you want to listen to and, and what you want to spend your your attention on is, that's that's not nothing. And and I think those of us that use these tools regularly forget 
that someone who's not used to them is going to be quickly overwhelmed. Yeah, I think that's great. It's been fantastic talking to you, Dave. Hopefully later on in the year you might consider coming back. Um, sure. It's, I think it's been a great discussion. So, Dave, what's the best way for people to find more about WP Campus? And and also, are you going to do, be doing a physical um, um, meeting um, this year? or Because, yeah. um, you know, so maybe you can give us some info about that. Yep. We, the best thing you can do to learn more about WP Campus is go to wpcampus.org. Uh, that is our website that also has information on how to join our Slack. So if you are a WordPress user in higher education, feel free to, to join our Slack and introduce yourself in the, we have an introductions channel so you can find it and say hello. We are right now preparing for our conference in July. I believe it is July 12th through the 14th, uh, but don't quote me on that. Check the website. Make sure I have the dates correct off the top of my head. Uh, it's at uh, it's on campus at Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana, here in the United States. So it is... It's it's going to be the, the the weather in the deep south in the U.S. in July is going to be hot. It's going to be sticky, but we got buildings with air conditioning, so hopefully we will be good to go. Uh, but yeah, this will be our first in-person conference. Uh, well, it's a hybrid conference. You can attend uh, remotely, and I th- I think they were even talking about possibly having a few of the presentations be handled by folks who were remote. Um, but this will be the first time we've offered any in-person opportunities uh, since before March 2020. So, And luckily, Tulane, who was supposed to be our 2020 conference location, has been willing to just sort of extend our reservation and our invitation from 2020 to 21 to 22, and now finally to 23, oh, when we will get to go and and visit, visit uh, New Orleans and Tulane. Well, so, uh- I hope it really goes well because I know it's been a difficult couple of years dealing with COVID and everything. Um, But I think under your stewardship and your other team members, I I can only see great things for WP Campus. So, Kurt, and I'm very supportive of it, um, David. Thank you. Um, Kurt, what's the best way of people finding out more about you and what you're up to? Thanks, Jonathan. Um, LinkedIn. I say it every week. I'm on LinkedIn all the time, and I'm the only Kurt Von Onnen on LinkedIn, which makes me the easiest Kurt Von Onnen to find. Um, so it, we'll connect there. It'll say follow, but hit connect. We'll, we'll do a quick call. We'll figure out who each other is, and uh, if there's a way I can add value to you, I'm there to do so. Uh, other than that, anything that's manana nomas online is typically me, and uh, if you search me out on Google, you click on any of those links, and there I'll be. Yeah, and if you want to support the show, folks, please share share the show on your social media networks. That's the main way people, new people are going to find out about the show. So mention us on the show, um, push it to Facebook, Twitter, whatever platform you utilise, the new ones that we've been discussing, and tell some of your friends about the show. We love for new people to join us. Um, we will be back next week. We've got some fabulous guests in May. We've got some great conversations like what you've just listened to with Dave. We will be back soon, folks. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group? And also to keep up with the latest news, click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.